Welcome to the Mindful Dietitian podcast. I'm Fiona Sutherland, body inclusive non diet dietitian and yoga teacher from Melbourne, Australia, and director of the Mindful Dietitian. Please join me as I have important conversations with dietitians and health professionals from all over the world about getting brave and leaning into tough conversations as we cultivate a strong community of practitioners committed to body inclusive practice. We'll talk about mindfulness, we'll dig into diet culture, and we'll explore ways of bringing courageous and important topics into our professional spaces so we can more deeply understand our own experience and make our work more meaningful. Thank you for joining me. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to this next episode of the Mindful Dietitian podcast. Welcome to my little area of the internet, I guess you would say, where I get to have fantastic conversations with my colleagues, mostly dietitians, but some therapists, advocates, and do you know what? Anybody who I decide to have a conversation with and record it and bring it to you. That's essentially what a podcast is. And very selfishly, I am more than happy to lean into this. I just adore having conversations with people who bring uh, so much uniqueness, who bring brave topics to the table, because it encourages us to do the same. It encourages us to really lean into our experiences, to be able to see what is unseen maybe within us and in the world and in healthcare. And that is why I invited my friend and our colleague, Heather Kaplan, to the podcast. So for those of you who don't know Heather, she is a US-based registered dietitian with a virtual private practice, and she is the founder of Weight Inclusive Nutrition and Dietetics with the acronym WIND. Heather also hosts the weekly podcast RD Real Talk, where she chats with fellow dietitians about the anti-diet weight inclusive paradigms. If you have not listened to RD Real Talk, it is in my top three alongside Brene Brown and Dan Harris. That is how good RD Real Talk is. Heather is a really, really uh, talented interviewer. And as it turns out, she's a great interviewee as well. I just really enjoyed this conversation. Heather's work has been featured in national publications such as the Washington Post, Runner's World, Eating Well and on NBC's Today Show. You can find her on Instagram at rdrealtalk and you can check out wind events and resources at weightinclusivenutrition.com. So here, Heather and I really talked about not only her RD Real Talk podcast and her experience running a private practice through maternity leave and motherhood. Oh my goodness, that is that's just some really tough years. And I wanted to point you back to the episode that um, of RD Real Talk that Heather had with Marcy Evans, because the two of them got real real quick on the early stages of motherhood and running a balance uh, running a you know having having any semblance of balance during those years and how we can just let that sense of perfectionism and expectations just fall away a little as we lean into the realness of this new life so um, Heather and I also talk about the lessons that 
Heather learned during these years and what that might have to do with COVID-19, what's happening at the moment. Uh, I'm bringing this to you in May. So we've now, we're two months in easily and we're arguably still in the thick of it. Uh, we wanted to tell you more about weight inclusive uh, nutrition and dietetics movement and I asked Heather about any words of wisdom that she would offer herself three to five years ago and her answers were really beautiful and so I want you to take a special care in listening out for that particular section. Uh, so I, I really hope that you enjoy this episode with Heather Kaplan. She is a very talented and very generous human being and somebody who I really treasure in my life. So thank you so much, Heather, for coming to speak to me on the podcast. You can find out more about The Mindful Dietitian at www.themindfuldietitian.com.au. I've got no idea why I emphasized the just then. I just realized I did it. Huh. Maybe I do that all the time. The Mindful Dietitian. The Mindful Dietitian. Oh, I don't know. Anyway, I'm just going to shush and leave you to this wonderful episode with Heather Kaplan. Hello, Heather. It's so fantastic to have you on the Mindful Dietitian podcast. Welcome. Oh, thanks, Fiona. It's so good to be here. So many of you will be familiar with Heather from her own podcast, RD Real Talk. Um, how long has your podcast been around now for, Heather? Almost, well, actually a little over three years at the time of recording. So been a while. That's really awesome. That's really great because you've, you've really interviewed tons of registered dietitians and, and dietitians from all over the world about so many different topics. Um, so, I mean, we might even start there. What have you noticed about the evolution of, of your podcast content over time? Oh, yeah, it's really interesting <laughs> to listen back to some of those old episodes. Um, I won't go so far as to say embarrassing. I don't think it's embarrassing, but there is a lot of evident personal and professional growth when you listen to, <laughs> to earlier episodes versus now, um, which is great. And that's that's all of us being human, right? We're not perfect from the start. So like not only is the sound quality quite questionable at the beginning, <laughs> but um, <laughs> I, I would say I initially just reached out to a lot of friends and people I knew and people whose work I had followed. Um, like I remember getting a couple of interviews that surprised me. I think I had Christy on pretty early and Julie Duffy Dillon was on pretty early. And I was like, wow, why are they on my show? You know, but um, now I know them better and I'm like, oh, they're very gracious humans. That's why. <laughs> um, and then it probably took me about a year to realize I needed to be more intentional about the topics that we covered and the way that we covered them and the people that I reached out to. And obviously pulling from my network was pulling from a lot of the same, it was pulling from an echo chamber, you know? Um, so I, there was kind of an interesting shift in the podcast around the one year mark because I was on maternity leave the first time. And so I did this intuitive eating series to, hold me for 10 weeks while I took some time off from recording and then eased back in after that with a pretty different perspective. I also, if I'm being really honest, like some of the conversations I recorded right after my maternity leave, I don't even really remember. Like I couldn't tell you who was on the show from like April to like August of 2018. It's all such a blur. 
So it has, it has evolved and changed quite a bit over the last couple of years. And I try to give myself a lot of grace to let that happen and just be okay with it and not try to like stick to a certain schedule or stick to a certain topic because that doesn't always interest me. And I have to stay interested and engaged and let it change as I change. Yeah, that's that's really fantastic. And I'm sure that nobody relates to that post-baby time <laughs> when you know, your mind just feels like a big piece of mush, right? Yeah. I'm like, who, what business did I have recording podcasts in that phase? Like I felt so ready at the time. And now I'm like, honestly, I look at some of those episodes. I'm like, I don't even remember having that conversation. I didn't. And it's not like it happened at like one in the morning. It happened at like a normal daytime hour, but I was clearly like so pulled in so many different directions that my brain wasn't fully processing all of that information. Yes. And so being on the cusp now of number two um what -hmm. advice what what advice do you have does your past self have for your slightly future self for the first months of of uh, a a new family member yeah i am far less delusional about what's realistic (laughs) in the first few months let's be clear that's yeah just a lot less delusional i might still be slightly delusional tbd um but i i you know having been through a newborn phase before and also very much recognizing like every kid is different so whatever newborn phase we had last time is not the newborn phase we'll have this time and maybe that will be slightly better maybe slightly worse i don't know um so i've prepared to take more time off I've done a little bit of work on kind of changing some of the structures of my business so that when I do ease back in, I know what to ease back in with instead of jumping right into client calls like I did last time or jumping right back into podcast recording like I did last time. Um, So just being a little bit more mindful of where I start to ease back in and what will feel doable from like an energy perspective, a brain space perspective time, you know, like client calls are obviously very time dependent. You have to show up at the time that it was scheduled versus being like, that doesn't feel like something I'm capable of today. (laughs) So I'm going to do that tomorrow. And I had a lot of those days, but again, when you've scheduled something, I try to really honor those client calls and not change anything at the last minute. So just kind of stuff like that, you know, taking a little bit more time, giving myself a little more space and doing a lot more work ahead of time to set that up for when I do ease back in. So like I was telling you before we hopped on, like my next week or so is pretty busy. And then like the month of April, I'm like, don't talk to me. (laughs) I'm going into like hibernation and preparation mode and I'm really excited about it. And your cupboards are going to be really, really tidy. Oh, so, so tidy. Um, Yeah, we're also in this like very odd time of self quarantining and social distancing, which is like perfection for nesting. I'm like, Oh, I can clean out all of our shelves. And like my hospital bag is already packed. Last time I don't think that was packed to like the week before I was due. (laughs) So things like that are happening much earlier this time, despite the fact that we have a toddler, but we also have a lot of time on our hands. Yes. 
Yeah, yes, we do. Yes, we do. And it sounds as if you've been um, really reflective and your plans actually sound really smart. Um, one of the um, recent episodes that you had on RD Real Talk was with um, my very, very good friend and somebody who I know we both respect very, very deeply, Marcy Evans. And mm -hmm. um, I would really encourage people to go back and listen to that episode um, because Marcy had some really interesting reflections of on, on her maternity leave and and yeah. how that was so unexpected in so many ways and I'd be so interested in your reflections of of that conversation because what I really loved is how thoughtful you both were around sharing your own experiences and then also um also honouring that different people have had their own experiences, particularly or specifically in the context of this kind of weight-inclusive work that we do, and and also the way that we tend to perfectionism all over ourselves, and <laughs> you know, and productivity all over ourselves, even you know during maternity yeah. leave. So so. Um, I'm really interested yeah. in your kind of reflections on that conversation that you had with Marcy. Yeah, I was kind of blown away by how much foresight she had, even not having been a parent before. Like, oh, I, this is I Marcy a, Evans we're talking about. I know, right? <laughs> I know. Like, oh, <laughs> of course, Marcy thought of all those things. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I remember seeing her post on Instagram that she was going on maternity leave, and then honestly and literally seeing nothing after that, I was like that alone is sort of groundbreaking and sort of radical at this point in time, right? Like maybe two years ago when my son was born, it wouldn't have been such a big deal to take that time off of social media. But a year, even a year later when she did it, I was like, she did that right. No one's going to forget about you. No one's going to forget about your work. Your clients will come back. Like I operated very much from a scarcity mindset in my first maternity leave because my business was very new. The podcast was new. The way that social media is used now was kind of just evolving at the time with the Instagram stories and more frequent posts and the quotes and all of these things. Like it had been so different before that. And so I felt like going into my maternity leave, I was like, oh yeah, yeah, I'll take time off. But about four or five weeks later, I was like, okay, I'm ready to get back into it because I felt scared. I was scared that I didn't know where the clients would come from and I didn't know if the podcast series was good enough and I didn't know if I had done enough prep preparation to really share the episodes well enough. You know, like I'm putting air quotes around all these things because they were just my own expectations. And I definitely, as I had mentioned, like went back to work way too soon and was pretty burned out pretty quickly. Um, so talking to Marcy, it's just so refreshing to hear her like calm and put together <laughs> take on these things. And she's had her business longer and she is more seasoned and like running a practice. So that definitely helps. But I think she just came to it with such preparation. And like you said, this is Marcy we're talking about. So nothing, <laughs> nothing really slips through the cracks. Um, and on top of that, she was kind of thrown into it long before she was expected, and that's something that I've been more mindful of this time around too, because my first kiddo, Casey, was born about a week before, well, ended up being a few days before his due date, but I was shocked to go into labor. Like it could not have surprised me more. <laughs> so like set up my out of office from the hospital, you know, like things that I thought I had another week or two to do, I didn't. And I, and he was on time. Like, <laughs> I don't know what world I was living in. Um, so this time, yeah, just kind of 
seeing people like Marcy who were better prepared and also just like more gentle with themselves around that time and the weeks leading up to it was a good reminder to me that it's okay to scale way back. It's okay to take time off. It's okay to give yourself as much space as you think you might need, or maybe even more than you think you might need. And that even with all of those things, like the work that we do leading up to that isn't completely erased. It's not lost, you know, like I didn't have that much trouble building back up my client base. And I didn't have that much trouble getting back into the podcast stuff, aside from the fact that I was mentally a little burned out and exhausted. <laughs> um, or I would say stretched thin. Burned out's not the right word, but I was definitely stretched a little thin. Um, so this time just kind of knowing like, it's a little scary, but the work I've done up to this point doesn't just get erased with a couple of weeks or a couple of months off or away from the space. Mm. That's so important and particularly as, you know, Heather and I at the moment are recording in late March and um, if you think about that time, by the time this gets published, this could be, you know, in well into April or maybe even early May, but we are yeah. literally speaking to you live late March <laughs> at, a, at a time <laughs> when, um, when the world has kind of shifted on its axis and where a lot of our colleagues actually are really struggling in terms of their business and there are so it's so on one hand I wonder if there are elements of planned maternity leave that we can learn from when it comes to things that are a little less planned because um, what what I'm observing and hearing firsthand from from our, our colleagues who are trying to maintain their their businesses in supporting clients during this time that some of the unplanned stuff is actually the toughest because um because there there can be a lot of quote-unquote feelings for us there are a hell of a lot of feelings on behalf of our clients and then the intersection of those whilst trying to keep a lid on our own anxieties around our own performance maybe our own capacity to offer support to our clients in the way that we used to and what I really love Heather is what you just mentioned around just trusting that what we have done is enough and trusting that what we are doing currently is enough yeah so yeah what would you add to that yeah I have noticed that because of like such odd timing for me like this shift in our norm, like completely turning all of our worlds upside down. Suddenly everyone's home and virtual businesses are a good thing to have in some ways, but I'm like, it doesn't make it any easier to be working in a house where my family is <laughs> all day long. Right, my right. kid is here. My dog is here. My husband is here. Um, we're trying to figure out what that, you know, quote schedule and routine looks like and fitting in work. And what has been really clear to me is I have to clear my schedule of the non-essentials and maybe there's a lesson to take away from this time as I go forward and come back because we don't have all the hours in the world. I'm really still learning how to say no to certain things or to set boundaries on certain things. And I've come a long way. I'll give myself some credit. But as I looked at my schedule last week when we realized, oh, we don't have childcare and now my husband's home and now we're trying to figure out what this day-to-day -day of social distancing and no coffee shop work and no co-working space opportunities like what does this look like and there were just some things on my calendar that I not even like 
conversations necessarily, but some things I was planning to work on that I'm like, that's not urgent. I, why would I spend time on that right now? That's not important, you know? So it's been, I think it will end up kind of bumping up my maternity leave a little early and I'll just probably take time off a little earlier because things have felt so weird and so different. But in the conversation I had with Marcy and in some of the reflections I had, like once we found out that we were pregnant again, it was like, okay, there are some things I need to put in place so that my business does not rely so heavily on one-on-one work and doesn't rely so heavily on people paying me on a session by session basis, right? Which up to that point, it was kind of getting to the place where that was a good chunk of my income. And that's totally fine and great if that's what you want your business model to be. But I knew for me and for the the other things I always have going on and the other things I always want to be doing, it doesn't make sense for me. And going into maternity leave again and going into this time off again, that would really derail our financial stability in the ways that we plan and think about our budgets and things like that. So it was like a good reminder to me to set up these structures in place that my business model varies and has different things that provide that more predictable income. Um, So as we've had to shift our routines and again, like this is, not a great time for me to be on the phone all day with clients or (laughs) to be even to be recording all the time because I can't always guarantee a quiet household. I Mm. rarely can do that anyway, because I have a dog, but, um, you know, it's just been a good, a good shift in perspective again, to see like, what are the essentials? Where am I really spending my time and what feels effective and important and useful for me in my business and allowing those things to change not getting set on just the the one framework or the one model that has to be the way that I do things because that mm. doesn't work for me. <laughs> so, Yeah, I really appreciate your thoughtfulness in stepping through that process because um, for a lot of people who are now going to have to really think about their, their business model, I think, you know, reflecting on is this essential right now? Can I park it? can I leave it all together, you know, and what kind of boundaries or what types of conversations might I need to be having in order to best take care of myself, my family, my community, my business and everything that, that revolves around that. Yeah. And one thing I've noticed that feels a little bit ironic given the times is that I actually feel a lot less stressed in the past week than I have the past probably five or six months, like pretty much since I saw you in September, (laughs) I feel like I've just been, it's been like one big month after another with like some of the wind stuff and some of the online course stuff and client work and trying to like do all of the things at an unsustainable pace and take Fridays off and spend time with my toddler and be a good partner. I mean, a thoughtful, compassionate, like, you know, equal partner, um, And then trying to like figure out where I fit into all of that. And this week was like such a clear lesson in you're doing too much. So cut out the non-essentials. You thought you had good boundaries. You can improve these boundaries. And (laughs) being home and spending time with with my kiddo is like pretty fun, you know? Uh, I was just giggling there because like you thought you had good boundaries. Turns out you don't. Not so much. (laughs) So much. No, like they're better than the boundaries I had a year ago, but that's not saying a whole lot either. So (laughs) yeah, room to move. 
room to move so much yeah. room yeah it, it is so interesting that when things fall away sometimes things that we the, the our edges are revealed yeah yeah very much so mm. and i'm like in the past week it would make sense for me to be way more stressed but i've taken this as like this almost permission to step back and to relax a little bit to create more space in my day where I'm spending more time with my family because we're all here and we're together and I don't want to be on my computer eight hours a day. Mm -hmm. Like that's just not where I want to spend these really rare days, weeks, hopefully not months <laughs> that we're all nice. home together. Who knows? Yeah. And I'm like, I would just, I don't want to look back on this and be like, man, I was such a stress ball because I was worried about business stuff. Like it is a luxury and a privilege to decide not to be so stressed about it. Right. Um, but I also have just recognized for myself, like my mental health has actually, I think improved in the past week, being able to look at my schedule and say, these things don't feel essential. These things don't feel that important. These things aren't moving some of my goals forward. And I don't mean that to sound too selfish, but you know, if it's just like a casual meeting with someone who reached out for connection, I'm like, that can wait. It, mm -hmm. it doesn't mean it can't happen. It just mm -hmm. doesn't need to happen right now. And I mm -hmm. have to be better at recognizing that. Yeah, absolutely. And thank you so much for for acknowledging the, the privilege that it is to be able to kind of lean back and rest a little more. Um, yeah. Because I think it would be yeah very fair to say that, you know, stressful, anxious um, times, particularly related to financial security, is very real, not only um, in yeah. the general community, but also in for our colleagues as well. So we, mm -hmm. you know, both Heather and I just want to acknowledge that um, the, the privilege that we both have in being able to um, you know be be thoughtful about what we say yes to and what we say no to um, and that you know and that hopefully the the weight inclusive community that you and I are both very actively a part of I'm, I'm really hoping that the investment that that not only you and I but also hundreds if not thousands of other people have also made um, as part of this this community can be a, a haven, you know, during those really tough times that we have each other to be able to bolster our sense of stability and, and, um, and steadiness, even amongst yeah. what feels like the opposite of steadiness at the moment. So, you know, right. don't, don't hesitate to use this community, um, you know, as, as a way to find some steadiness amongst the, the, what feels like a massive cyclone. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. Yeah. So you, you did briefly mentioned your WIND events. So WIND is the acronym for Weight Inclusive Nutrition and Dietetics, which I am a massive fan of WIND. And I've only actually attended <laughs> one event um, yeah. where I was so honoured to be part of a panel alongside some amazing other speakers uh, last September in Washington DC when Hayley Goodrich and I ran our non-diet workshops um, you know in collaboration with wind which was it was just such that was a fun whirlwind yeah you know, week wasn't oh it it was just it was just crazy in so many ways so yeah. tell us a little bit about wind what what wind is um mm -hmm. and and kind of the the evolution of of wind as you know kind of um social justice oriented ethical weight inclusive entrepreneurship it's just such an it's an incredible um uh, creation that you have it's it's beautiful so tell us a bit about it 
Yeah. Well, first, um, shout out to Fiona, who was one of the first people I talked to about wind. <laughs> I was like, I don't know what I'm doing, but I think it could be a thing. And I kind of just need it to be a thing. So help me make that happen. Um, the wind is weight, inclusive nutrition and dietetics. The idea was initially born out of frustration. Um, the year that our U.S. national conference FINCI, the Food and Nutrition Conference and Expo, was held in Washington, D.C., which is where I live. Um, I was meeting with some fellow RDs. We have a little peer supervision group. We do dinner about every other month or so together and try to keep each other motivated and, <laughs> you know, supported and all those things. Um, and I was not going to go to FINCI because I was actually going to be out of town, very poor planning on my part. And they were all going. So we were reviewing some of the sessions that they were planning on. And I think they had had actually some recommendations from the Behavioral Health and Nutrition Group, BHN, um, that had highlighted which sessions were in some way, shape or form, non-diet or haze aligned, which of course that list was pretty short. And then we just got to talking about how frustrating it is that seeking out this information is so hard and most of it's virtual and most of it is happening in smaller groups and not happening on bigger platforms. And I initially was just kind of annoyed and was like, oh, this is why I don't go to Fancy. <laughs> you know? um, just being a little bit uh, stubborn about it. And then over the next couple of days, just started thinking like, if these topics aren't represented at our big conferences, then we make our own conference. We make our own space where we learn about these things. Like enough with submitting proposals that get rejected left and right. And this is a very timely conversation given, given what happened with fancy proposals this year as well. Um, why rely on the academy to get up to speed and acknowledge the shifts in research and what we now know? Because clearly that's not happening. Um, so I am a member of the Academy, mostly because I feel um, really unproductive complaining about it from the outside. <laughs> so I am a member. Um, but yeah, just thought like, why not make our own space? And I have no business event planning. I had no idea what I was doing. <laughs> and in my first vision of a wind event, it was like this three day conference mm -hmm. in the fall, like that has yet to happen two years later. Um, I guess about a year and a year and a half. Yeah, a year and a half later. Uh, but we have done some smaller conferences and just little workshops and events. Um, the one in DC, we had 65 people and that was our, that's so far our highest attended because we had the space to do that. Um, and it was a little overwhelming. <laughs> so we you did back such again. a great job. Oh my gosh, you did an amazing oh, job. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. And now we're experimenting with some online stuff too. I mean, clearly now is not the time to be doing a lot of in-person events. It's a really challenging time to plan that because we don't know when those will be available to us again. I do feel really strongly about a lot of wind components being in person because I've seen firsthand, like with our first workshop and the DC event and the second workshop in New York, we need that connection. We're craving it so much. We kind of, I think we as a collective have boomeranged a little bit from the social media high of like, oh, everything can be done online. Online is so easy. Online is so accessible to like, wait, but I need to talk to people. <laughs> I need to feel connected to people. And um, we, I definitely see that at our events. And so we 
I think that's a really, that's always got to be a pillar of what we provide, which is that space for connection and questions and dialogue and conversations and learning. And then since we've, since I've kind of tried to grow from the in-person events, figuring out other ways to make this information accessible, to provide a space to elevate different voices where we may not always have the budget to fly people from all over the country to events because we're independent and <laughs> things are expensive. Mm -hmm. um, so we're experimenting right now with some of the virtual options just to create more opportunities for more learning and to bring more voices into the space. Yeah, that's, it's so fantastic. And I love the idea of creating um, a very specific deliberate space so that we can have these conversations um, in ways that bolster our own learning and that, and that facilitate um, important communication techniques, tools and skills for us then to be able to go and share those in our own practices and in our own workplaces and our own, yeah. even families and communities. Um, so I just wanted to reflect just for a moment because I remember you and I having a series of conversations kind of early on in your, uh, I guess, the thinking, the, the setting of the foundation of WIND and what you wanted it to be. And I mm -hmm. do remember one of our conversations being that your, you had this kind of um, I, I, idea, which, I, which I'd, I'd be so interested in the evolution of this. Your main idea was to try to bring together people who, who were already in very um, weight-centric spaces together mm -hmm. with people in who were very dedicated and committed to weight inclusive spaces. And I remember this early on and I remember we both kind of were wrestling a little bit with, Oh gosh, what does that even look like? What does it sound like? What would it feel like to try to create this space where everybody, everybody, regardless of your practice, um, I suppose the, the kind of practice that you dedicate yourself to and what informs that, um, this kind of shared space. And so it's interesting that wind really has become um, weight inclusive. You know, it's, 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 it's not a yeah. fence sitting. This is not a fence sitting no. <laughs> kind of thing at all. Um, yeah. Because I know that yeah. you feel very strongly about getting splinters in your butt. <laughs> <laughs> I love that analogy. Um, yeah, that I think initially that appealed to me and that evolved from a few of the early conversations I had. So I talked to a dietitian friend of mine who very much identifies in the weight-centric space but had hosted retreats and events for RDs. And so I did a call with her just to – I scheduled like basically four or five like mentoring supervision type calls and was like, let me pay you for your time. I have lots of questions. This is not going to be like a five-minute – you know, Q and A. Um, and so this, this person had hosted a bunch of events. And so I thought she'd be a great person to talk to you. Um, and she was really honest and was like, yeah, I wouldn't go to something like that because I, I don't really understand this non-diet space and I think it's going to pass. And I think, you know, like, I just don't agree with it. Um, and she was really respectful and wasn't like a harsh conversation, but I was like, oh, well, it'd be interesting if we could, create a space for these conversations to happen where me like, honestly, if we're being really candid to like, not convert people, but to say like, how are you not seeing this? Like, it's so yeah. clear that what we're doing is harmful without, you know, placing any blame or shaming people or anything like that, of course. Um, as we've gone on, I think what happened was 
one, it's really, really difficult to create a space where that kind of respectful conversation can happen. It's not impossible and I'm still kind of chasing after it, but I would much rather spend my time and energy and resources on creating the safest space I can for people to learn. That's not to guarantee that everyone feels safe in that space, but to do what I can to create a space where people feel comfortable if they are fence setting or if they are still unsure, they're leaning a little towards the weight inclusive hazel line side of things and they feel comfortable coming into a wind event and saying, here's where I can really learn and really dig in and really ask questions and not feel judged or ashamed or pushed out of the room for having those questions. So I will say that I hope the events still feel welcoming to people who are not 100% on board, but I'm not super interested in giving a platform to people who are 0% on board. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> because it's just, I think the conversations that come out of that are not productive, you know, and I've learned that engaging online, <laughs> I've learned that um, watching how some of these conversations play out. And I've learned through supervision, like it is not our job to convince anyone of anything. I'm going to share the information and I'm going to hope that it resonates with people and that they can see it without that weight centric bias. But if they're not there yet, I don't have to burden the responsibility of trying to make that happen. Mm. No, I, I, I'm so there with you. And I think what, you and I share, well, you and I share a lot in common. Um, but I think one thing that we share in common is the desire to, or the commitment to providing spaces where people who are already, um, who are already interested in weight inclusive care can, can, that we can facilitate and bolster and strengthen our own confidence in doing this work. Um, not only on a one-on-one level but also when we're for example invited to speak at schools or invited to speak at community events or even at dietetic or other health professional events because um it you know it you're absolutely right it is not one person's or one organization's responsibility to be providing all the schooling and all the learning and it's certainly um you know it's certainly not the burden for our clients to be just helping their health professionals. I mean, that's a huge load. So I wonder if, um, or where I've come to, and it sounds like you're there too, is really strengthening avenues of communication with people who are already at least minimally doing this work. So if we were to think about stages of change, they might not be 100% action and maintenance all the time. They might still be a little bit in preparation, you know, might need a little nudge along. But if we can strengthen that kind of portion of our dietetic population, then I can't help but think that in terms of um, investment investment of energy and investment of resources, that maybe that might give us better bang for our buck. Yeah. Yeah. And we've heard from people who have attended events saying, I still felt pretty new to this, but this is what like really solidified the approach for me. Mm-hmm. And I, I've Thankfully, so far, most people have said, I feel very comfortable asking questions. I knew this was a place I could come and learn. We try to really, I send out a survey before events to see 
kind of gauge the knowledge level within the group for that specific event of how comfortable are you with the principles of health at every size? How comfortable are you with the idea of calling yourself a non-diet dietitian? You know, like where do you fall on the spectrum? And we can't cater every event to every single person perfectly, but it helps me give some information to the speakers of here's your audience. Like even for the speakers, I realized how important it was to create a space where they felt comfortable coming in and topping, talking about their topics, right? At our New York event last month in February, Veronica Garnett talked about white supremacy and diet culture. Mm-hmm. I heard it was and absolutely incredible. It was, it was, I mean, all of us were like, wait, why isn't this part of Dietetics 101? <laughs> you know, like, why isn't this something we had to learn and absorb and sit with far, far earlier in our careers. Um, And I know having had conversations with Veronica, like for her, it felt great to be able to go in and do that. But she was nervous. She said that at the beginning of her presentation, like she was nervous to stand there because still in these rooms, the predominant race is white and the predominant body type is straight sized. And that's not how she identifies. And so if I had invited her to speak and I knew that there were some people in the room who were 0% aligned (laughs) with anything that relates to wind, it wouldn't have been a safe experience for her. And I can't stand behind that. So yeah, it's just not our job to convince people. And that took a little bit of learning and a little bit of ego checking for me. (laughs) So, um, but that's, that's where we are with it for now really interesting that um you know there there are a number of us who've been kind of chipping away in this space for a number of years now and i'm i'd be so curious to ask you if you could go back to your say five year ago self or maybe three years ago just you know you choose completely up to you (laughs) what advice or what words would you offer to your previous self do you think about what this work takes, what you can expect. Um, yeah. What, what words would you offer? Yeah. The, the number one thing that I've learned in the past three to five years is that it's okay to ask for help. And not only is it okay, I think it's necessary. I think I, when I thought about myself five years ago, I was just married about to leave a job I had been at for five years. That was very weight centric and completely disassociating from the profession. Like in my mind, I was going to start a private practice in a virtual business on paper. I had no idea what I was doing. And in reality, I was just very disconnected from the profession and what I was being asked to do. And I didn't know what else to do. I didn't have a language for any other approach. Um, I wasn't really seeking connection. I could not have even told you what supervision meant. <laughs> like there were just a lot of unknowns for me. And I, I think when I thought about this question, the first thing that came to mind when I thought about myself five years ago, was like, wow, I was pretty arrogant. And then I realized what's actually true is that I felt a lot of cognitive dissonance and imposter syndrome. Like, okay, well, if I go into business I don't really know what I'm doing and I don't really know what I would want to offer because none of this aligns with my values and none of this feels good to me. And so instead of admitting some of those fears or admitting what I saw as kind of shortcomings in myself as a dietitian, instead I was like, I don't need this profession. (laughs) Like I don't need to be here, you know? Um, So asking for help, 
I think being really open to learning from others. I didn't really have jobs early in my career where I felt like I had a supervisor or a mentor that was providing me with a lot of helpful advice for me. That's not to say I didn't have good bosses and good coworkers and people who I did learn from, but I didn't really have a good example of what a mentor might look like or what a supervisor might look like. And so then going into my next job after the corporate wellness job, I was at a startup and I was the only dietitian. Again, a little arrogant. I was like, oh, cool. I get to be the only dietitian. Like no one will tell me what to do. <laughs> That's the entrepreneur in me coming out. No, I, <laughs> I don't like when people tell me what to do. Um, and I'm best working for myself. But um, that is actually in that job, which was about five years ago, is where I learned about intuitive eating, health at every size, non-diet approach through a series of events that we don't have to get too into the weeds with. But um, I got to contract and work with other dietitians and I got to choose who we brought on and who we partnered with. And I started realizing like, oh, there's this space of RDs who are not diety and not focused on weight. And like, who are these people? Like, where can I find more of these people? <laughs> you know? Um, so yeah, I think, you know, the biggest lessons that I learned in that time and continued to learn through the first year or so of owning a business was you can't take this all on on your own. It's completely okay and necessary to ask for help. It's completely okay and necessary to learn from others, especially learning from people who are younger or have fewer years of experience than me. Like that was initially kind of hard for me. And again, not because I identify as someone who knows it all, but I felt a sense of like, do I know enough? You know, <laughs> like if they, if they know so much, do I know enough? And then who am I to be running this business or seeing these clients and things like that? Um, and just connecting with others. I think I had like isolated myself quite a bit, you know, um, not feeling sure like who to reach out to or who was working in a way that aligned with my values and, instead of trying to find that or trying to seek it out and asking questions and being curious, I just kind of shut down and isolated myself a little bit for a while. So, and that's the, the same thing happened when I was studying dietetics because I had an eating disorder. And then I started wondering if everyone around me had an eating disorder <laughs> and then it felt really unsafe to be in classes and like, you know, learning what we were learning. And again, didn't have the language for any of this at the time, but instead of like seeking help or asking for help or trying to learn from others, I just isolated and disconnected. So being in these spaces of intuitive eating, non-diet, health at every size, like you see so much leaning on others, seeking support from others, asking questions, being curious, admitting what you don't know, admitting the ways in which you've grown. It's so refreshing. <laughs> um, and so that, you know, that those experiences in these spaces has taught me a lot about myself. And that would be, those would be, I wasn't super clear in my answer, but <laughs> my, my advice to myself would just be, you know, don't isolate, seek connection and ask for help and learn from others. Yeah. That's such a beautiful advice for your past self. Hang on. Future self, past self. <laughs> yes. A little bit of both. <laughs> a little bit of both. Well, yeah. but is, and isn't that interesting because often the advice that we would give our past self, there's going to at least be a portion of that, that we still need to be attending to, you know, there's um, all of us have certain patterns that, that, 
seem to pop up. And I mean, now more than ever, when we're feeling under pressure or when we're feeling anxious, um, you know, we, we have tendencies. So I'll, I'll share with you, and obviously it's not just you and I, this is a podcast, so which I need to remember. Um, it was so interesting. I'm, I'm getting, um, getting myself set up for the um, ACT symposium that I'm um, running in mm -hmm. conjunction with Sumner Brooks at EDRD Pro. And um, just the other day, I finished all my kind of slides and everything ready to go for the for the these series of live live online workshops. And I found a folder, and it was full of all my original ACT training, which I did. Mm, maybe 13, 14 years ago, like quite, quite a number of years ago now in terms, you know, it was early on in my dietetic career at that point in time. And it was so interesting looking at back because a lot of that training was, first of all, self-reflection and identifying, you know, what are the attempts that we have made, you know, to, to um, quote unquote, fix a perceived problem that we have. Um, and this is kind of the basis of ACT is, you know, what are the patterns you know. that we find ourselves in in terms of avoidance and attachment and numbing and etc cetera, etc cetera, which really um, take us in the opposite direction of a, a valued meaningful fulfilling life and then how can we kind of um, start to turn that ship around so I was looking back at some of these self-reflections and I was like ah. I recognize some of this stuff <laughs> and here I am I know interesting I was like my god am I that unevolved compared to you know 13 14 years ago I just looked yeah. back at some of this and I thought and I kind of my my original kind of my, my patterning my social conditioning patterning is to turn away from myself and to to come down yeah. kind of harshly and critically and in that moment the fact that I didn't come down on myself, um, I was like, okay, and there you go. There's those 15 years of mindfulness, yeah. of yoga, of self-reflection, of supervision, of all of the work that, you know, we continue to do. Um, right. And yet at the same time, I was like, oh, yeah, I still <laughs> recognize some of this. Some of the same thoughts come up. I know. It's part of you. Yeah, it's right. part of you. Right. Yeah. This is exactly right. So, which brings us back to your example, which is, you know, some of the same advice you would have given yourself, um, you know, three to five years ago is, yeah. um, I recognize it's, that. It's absolutely the advice <clears throat> I still have to remind myself of. Every mm -hmm. time I do a wind event, I'm like, who can I check in with to make sure mm we're doing this right. We're moving this forward. We're changing something. We're including new voices. Like it doesn't all come back on me, but a lot of it comes back on me and the efforts that I'm making. And if I'm just relying on my own brain, we're not going to evolve. <laughs> like it's yeah. not going to change, you know? So like, as I started thinking about wind events, I was like, okay, so past Heather would have just dove into this impulsively and had the arrogance, which is imposter syndrome syndrome disguised with an ego to do it all herself and do it all on her own. So let's not make that mistake for the 800th time in my adult life. And let's <laughs> ask for help and have mentoring calls where I ask some of the same questions to different people and brought on Alyssa Rumsey, who I partnered with for the event and didn't give a session. And the first time I gave a session at a wind event was most recently in New York. Um, and I still was a little hesitant. So I'm like, this isn't my platform. It's not my space to get up and talk. It's just creating a space so that 
when I think about the sessions for a wind event, I think, where do I feel like I'm really lacking in knowledge? <laughs> what do I have to learn? And of course that list is never ending. Um, but every time I run one of these, it's like, this has nothing to do with you. You have to learn and lean on other, learn from and lean on others or these things, this whole concept will get stuck. And I feel like we can't afford for that to happen. You know, not that I'm like putting all the weight on my shoulder, but if I want it to be something that really enacts change and moves the needle a little bit, it certainly can't be on me or my brain. It won't mm -hmm. work. Well, what you've done is you've really, you've provided a lot of the labor and you've been willing to make the time um, and energy and resources investment in these events whilst then also yeah. thoughtfully and very deliberately bringing in voices that need to be heard. And I, I mean, it's, it's very, from my point of view, um, the thoughtfulness in it is, is really clear. Good. Thank you. I appreciate that. And I mean, I'll say our first event, we had four white straight sized women who spoke. Mm. We didn't get it right. <laughs> you sure. know? Yeah. Um, so it didn't happen right away. Yeah. And isn't that just the evolution of our, of our understanding about what inclusivity really does, does look like? I mean, I don't necessarily yeah. look like it in terms of physicality, but part of it is physicality and part of it is the intentionality behind it and what actually right. like what are we, where are we aiming for here in terms of moving that needle within dietetic practice and I mean let's face it the needle's pretty stiff in dietetic <laughs> practice you know I've, I've maybe <laughs> if I'm lucky moved it like a millimeter over the past two years, maybe. Oh, I don't know. Well, you know, know what? I think I think you're kind of not giving yourself enough credit there. I think that <laughs> you, alongside all the people that you have, um, I was going to say corralled. That's not what I mean. Um, all the people that you are bringing alongside you, you know, all the yeah. people that you're they're bringing alongside and elevating as well. Um, you're enabling more people to have platforms that will. Um, you know, uh, come full circle and really help us to be more thoughtful, inclusive, justice-oriented individuals and communities too. And I think it's yeah. it, it's a team. Yeah. It really is a team effort. It sounds so trite to say, but it really is. We can't do it on our own. Yeah, everyone's like, well, I not everyone. I have friends who recognize that, like, behind the scenes, wind right now is me, right? Like, I'm, <laughs> I've had meetings with like potential partners, like eating disorder treatment center representatives, and they're like, "So tell me about this organization." I'm like, "That's funny." Um, so <laughs> I'm just sitting behind my computer, <laughs> which is not to say I've had a lot of help putting the events on, and you know, obviously, like there are lots of voices that are participating in these conversations and lots of speakers and of I've had contractors who've worked for me. Um, but I always say wind is, it's a, we, like we are working mm -hmm. on these events. We are doing this. I'm like, it is, I might be the person who like slapped a name on it, but first of all, there are decades of history prior to us that have allowed this to even happen that have even given us a language for what we're doing. So to not honor that by saying I is, unacceptable right like <laughs> that's that's the whole reason we're here so that's like part of we that I think about when I say we at wind and then not a single thing that we've done has happened just from one person that's not how it works you know so I'm like 
yeah, like the labor behind the scenes, the person managing the website, that's me most of the time. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But I mean, it's, it's, it can't just be a me thing. It can't be an I thing. It's a collective. It's a community. That's kind of the whole point. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it is the whole point because there's a lot of work still to be done. I mean, there's been a lot of work that has already been done and I, I gratefully acknowledge um, you, you mentioning and I just want to reiterate the, the decades of work that has gone before us to even make the work that you and I do, whether those are live events or whether it's online or a podcast or whatever, which even, which even make this, this possible. Right. Mm. Yeah. So with that in mind, um, one thing I wanted to point people to what is um, at your most recent wind event, um, Kimmy Singh. No, sorry, that wasn't the recent one. That was DC where Kimmy yeah. spoke um, and we were on the panel together. And Kimmy did such a beautiful job of stepping everybody through the history of Health at Every Size. Um, so if you're curious about that, I would point you to the WIND website to get um, some more information about Kimmy's presentation. Um, and also in a previous podcast episode, Kimmy stepped us through that on the Mindful Dietitian as well. So yeah. um, that's just a beautiful way that we can put kind of a, a bit of a timeline on things, which I think for a lot of people really um, supports us to be able to broaden our lens and also offer gratitude um, and um, I guess blessings to all those people who a lot of people who are still alive today a lot of people who are still very active in our community um, yeah. to even have made this possible. Right yeah I think that presentation felt so important to me because I had realized through some initial conversations about wind events like I had someone who identifies as hazeline in my circle who didn't know what ASDA was. And oh, right. yes. I'm not like, I was like, oh, well, <laughs> if you don't know what ASDA is, that means lots of people don't know what ASDA is. So that has to be part of a conversation we have. And we have to highlight that. And for anyone listening, it's the Association for Size, Diversity and Health that owns the Hayes trademark. Um, and then I think just a lot of us have come into this space through intuitive eating and the non-diet approach. Um, so we know Evelyn and Elisa's work, but there was a lot of work that preceded that. Like we mm -hmm. can even say, oh, intuitive eating, it's 25 years old. Like how crazy that it's just really, really picking up steam now. Mm -hmm. Imagine how <laughs> the initial thought leaders of health at every size are feeling. Like that's 40, 50 plus years in the making, if not more. And we're still trying to like move that ship ahead, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. The way I sometimes think about it is almost like an iceberg. So at the moment, we're seeing, you know, the 10% of the visibility being primarily smaller bodied white uh, women dietitians kind of talking mm -hmm. about intuitive eating um, and non-diet principles and, and so forth. And I know that you and I are massive fans of these principles because they're actually practice principles that, that you know, what shows up in the work that we do every day with clients along with right. counseling skills. So that's actually the practice, practical side of things. And then the 90% of the iceberg is all the 
ongoing learning that we do underneath all the self-reflection all the unlearning all the yeah. interrogating of our own biases and our own and the way that stigma kind of shows up in our practice in ways that we haven't seen yet um so um yeah I, i'm so curious to ask you a little bit about kind of your your observations about i mean the iceberg analogy literally so funny yeah. i just make up stuff on the spot <laughs> so, it's, it makes but, sense though like what we're presenting through social media through our businesses through mm -hmm. podcast interviews is that tip of the iceberg mm -hmm. and what can be sometimes hard for people to see because in this metaphor it's underwater mm -hmm. right mm -hmm. that's the right word um is all of the stuff that goes on behind the scenes to get to the point where you ha even have the ability to show that 10% of your iceberg right like I was a little surprised to hear some people who didn't go to Evelyn and Elise's presentation at Vency this year. One, we show up in solidarity to say like, this is a session we are interested in. Um, so we're going to sit in the chairs and we're going to take up space. Right. But two, like there's always something you can learn from Evelyn or Elise, like always. Mm -hmm every interview, every article they're quoted in, there's always something to learn from the way their brains work and the way they've processed these principles and basically set a foundation for this approach within dietetics and haven't been perfect about doing so along the way and would be the first people to say that, right? And there were some people who were like, I just didn't know if I would learn anything by going, mm -hmm. you know? And I have been in that camp. <laughs> like I have existed in that camp. Um, but it's, still surprising to me, even though I know that thought process and I identify with kind of where that comes from. It's like, no, oh, no, no, there's always more to learn. There's always more to unpack. Like I think about the first couple of people who signed up for our first wind workshop. I remember being shocked. I was like, but they, they know this stuff. Mm. Love that they're coming. Feel mm. super grateful that they're supporting this project, but they know all this stuff, you know? And it was like, no, we're all seeking an opportunity to learn. We're all seeking an opportunity to check ourselves and to check our bias and check our ego and check our just knowledge base, right? And to remember like that iceberg has to be held up by a huge foundation. <laughs> like it's not just this little thing floating on the water, right? Uh -huh. So I'm, I think like that has been something that I see exemplified in Hayes and non-diet practitioners over and over and over. And it gives us all permission to continue to identify as a beginner, as a learner, as someone who is still doing this work, no matter how many years in we might be. Mm. That's such a powerful reminder to us all. You know, being a perpetual beginner is one of the core tenets of mindfulness practice Yeah. as well. You know, if in doubt, kind of begin again. And right. it, and it, kind of loops us almost back to one of the things we started off with and it doesn't mean that what you haven't done up until this point hasn't been worthwhile in some way shape or form yeah but that um being able to view our experiences through the lens of beginner's mind as it as it is known allows us to seek some clarity um it kind of encourages us to just 
push ego aside a little and maybe our past patterning and socialization and and allows us to to clearly be able to compassionately and gently interrogate our own internalized for example weight bias and ways it shows up um, because unless we're able to find space for that and see it as a learning point what happens is that our tendencies are to then either double down or to avoid or to oh but but I'm a nice person you know and to use all those kind of very very familiar <laughs> and yeah. um, and kind of typical ways to avoid the the inevitable discomfort that this work I was going to say this work demands of us and I think I still think there's an aspect of that but I think it's that this work invites us to do you know invites yeah. us to be really really courageous and to step into spaces where discomfort is kind of more the norm than it is the exception and I I honestly think that's part of the resistance that we see from the weight-centric world is uncertainty having to feel like a beginner again you know if you even if you're on the fence you're at least opening your mind to something mm -hmm. else, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. But the the act of getting on the fence, I think, requires quite a bit of humility. And unfortunately, there are a lot of humans in this space who aren't open to that. And that's where we really get stuck. Yeah, that's really true. And even using that metaphor of getting on the fence, um, what that actually means is that it requires some energy and it requires some momentum. It requires some strength and some dedication to even get ourselves up on the fence. Right. You know, and, and I know that, um, and I will put up my hand very freely and say, particularly in the past, although still sometimes present, sometimes I can be kind of a bit critical about people who get on the fence and then sit on the fence and then stay on the fence. <laughs> yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like I think, yeah. uh, you know, I, I both have compassion and also like get off the fence. What, is, what are you what doing? Are you doing? It's not comfortable to sit on these fences. What are you doing? Yeah. <laughs> Do you feel like splinters? That can't yeah. be good. That's not good for you. That's not good for us. It's not good for yeah. anybody. Um, right. Whilst at the same time, you know, really understanding that, in terms of our own stage of learning and our own stage of change and our capacity um, within our workplaces to be able to make meaningful change really varies so significantly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Well, goodness. What a great <laughs> conversation, Heather. Thank you. Yeah. Thank oh you my so goodness. Much. So, um, well, just to kind of, you know, round us off, um, where can people find out more about you? Because really, I'm just so grateful to have you in the world. You know, you really do have um, such a courageous, fierce spirit um, that I have so much respect for. Um, and so I really, really encourage people to seek you out. I really love RD Real Talk. Um, I, 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 I find it very refreshing and um, the conversations are always very entertaining. I love them so much. Yeah. Oh, so where can people so find much. you? Yeah. So RD Real Talk is the podcast and wind is weightinclusivenutrition.com. Um, and then a lot of our webinars and resources that are available online are on Teachable. So that's weightinclusivenutrition.teachable.com. That's perfect. Thank you so much, Heather, for your dedication and commitment to not only doing this work personally, but then also um, for just being a great team member, I guess you would say, for being a great community member. I just, yeah. again, have so much respect for you. Thanks.
Thank you so much. I really, really appreciate it. Great. I look forward to catching up in person. Um, hopefully later in the year, cross fingers. We're both, we're both on video crossing our fingers at each other later in the year. And, um, hopefully I get to have a totally hygienic cuddle with your new baby. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Virus free. We hope. Virus free. Exactly. Exactly. Thank you so much again, Heather. Have a, have a terrific rest of your day. Thanks. Well, that's our episode of the Mindful Dietitian interview series for today. Thank you so much to our wonderful guest and to you for listening. I really hope you enjoyed it. Just a reminder that you can find me over on the website, www.themindfuldietitian.com.au and please join actually quite a large group of wonderful and enthusiastic dietitians on the closed Facebook group, The Mindful Dietitian. The music you hear is called Happiness from Ben Sound, used under the Creative Commons license. Have a great day, everyone.